Well, good morning. It's good to see you here, whether uh, it's your first time here in a while or first time here at all. We're so thankful that, uh, that you're here. We've been in a conversation, though, the last several weeks uh, talking about being ready. Are we prepared? Are we prepared for what lies ahead as this season shifts and uh, some of us feel that shift both uh, spiritually and practically? Uh, we start to ask ourselves, are we ready? And when we introduce the scriptures, Ephesians 6, um, we're being reminded that not only are we not sure if we're ready or not, but there's an enemy that is waiting and he is ready to kill, steal, and destroy us. And a lot of times we don't recognize the fight that we're in for our thought life, for our prayer life, for our finances, for our marriage, for our kids, and on and on and on. In fact, anything good and beautiful and wholesome that God has given you is under uh, the attack of the enemy or potentially under the attack of the enemy. And so uh, what we realize is that we're in a fight, but we don't fight from our own strength. So if you're here and you're like, I'm not feeling it today, don't worry. We have God's strength to draw from. We're here talking about Ephesians 6, and uh, we've talked about the belt of truth. We've talked about the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, we've talked about the sandals of peace. And up until this point, we've kind of been talking about armor that we have on us, and it's defensive, and it's not offensive, and uh, it's sort of these, uh, these pieces that all kind of fit and tie together, and without righteousness, and without truth, and without peace, then we just cause damage. And so uh, we're shifting, and we're moving into the reality that we've been given uh, a shield, a shield of faith. And the shield of faith starts to shift a little bit towards more of an offensive weapon, even though it is defensive. It also introduces a bit of an offense as well. And in Ephesians six fourteen, it says, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And in every situation, We're going to just pause there for a second and reflect on this single uh, statement in every situation. So before we even proceed, if you're like, should I pick the shield up in this situation? Yes, there's not a circumstance, a a moment, a situation that we can conjure up or articulate that does not fall under the category of every single situation. In every situation, take the shield of faith. And with it, you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We're reminded we're not fighting in what we do imagine to be uh, what we can see or sense. It's in the heavenlies. There's, a, there's a, 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 an enemy that's unseen, and he's firing flaming arrows at us, and that's terrifying. And we are called to take the shield of faith with us in every single circumstance. And yet the shield is kind of this interesting thing where we don't really carry around shields. Like even our military, I'm not real sure, but I don't think they're out uh, with, with shields, at least not like this. We might have armor or some kind of form of a shield, but we don't fight like this. We don't have a shield and a, and a sword and we go hand-to-hand combat anymore, and yet the Roman shield was called a scutum, S-C-U-T-U-M, and, and this type of shield was a, a large object. It was almost the size of a door. It would cover the warrior from, from head to almost toe. And it was often carried in the left hand, and it would uh, cover part of the body of the soldier, and and it would be covered in uh, cloth or uh, a hide, animal hide most often. And when the animal hide was covering this wooden shield and it was doused with water, it would extinguish flaming arrows. So if you can imagine that you're in a a battle, arrows that are on fire or being shot at you, it hits this wood-like object covered in cloth that is soaked, and it extinguishes the flames. And a shield was important. It was essential to a shoulder, soldier because it provided a blanket of protection. 
If someone is shooting a, an arrow at you, you want as many layers of protection between you and the arrow as possible. You wouldn't want to just rely on the breastplate. You wouldn't want to just rely on the belt or the helmet as we haven't got to yet. You would want something more. You would want another layer of protection. And it meant that if you were to take up this shield in all circumstances, there would be a barrier against you and the enemy. And faith is described as this barrier. Faith is described as this shield that when taken up would be a sense of protection for us. And we often imagine, at least I often imagine, that this is a tool to help me hide from the enemy. If I'm standing behind a a, a door-like frame that is meant to protect me, it means that I'm going to hide behind the shield. And if we're honest, a lot of us live this way. If we're really honest in this room, a lot of us don't really require a lot of faith in order to live our lives. We've gotten into a routine. Maybe it's a bit of uh, sliding into a bit of complacency. We have this way of living where uh, we really can do everything in our own strength. And even as a church, we get to a place where we're comfortable. I mean, there's plenty of room for extra people, but you've got a seat, right? We've got a budget, so as long as we stay within that or under that budget, then financially we're okay. And we can do a routine, and we become comfortable. And it almost becomes a barrier or a buffer between us and the enemy, right? And, and, and we're okay because we're hiding behind our shield of faith. And a lot of us, and our church is brought into this conversation as well, a uh, church as a whole, we don't branch out past what we can do in our own strength. And so we live within these limitations of our own making where I have this amount of money and so I'm going to spend up to that point and, and, and I may not give any extra because I don't have any extra to give and so I don't have to worry about faith because I'm living beneath my means or within my means. I don't have to worry about inviting people to church because there's people here and, and I've got a seat and it's comfortable for me and so I don't have to push beyond that. And so we kind of live this life where we're not really stepping out into the arena because after all, there's flaming arrows out there, right? So uh, why? Why walk into uh, open fire when I can stay behind the shield and everything's pretty comfortable here? And I'm not guilting anyone because I love safety and I love comfort, but often spiritually we use this shield as a way to hide from the battle. We don't need faith. If I live my life in my own strength, I don't have to have faith because faith is scary, Right? I mean, if we think about faith, it exposes our fears. It makes us feel vulnerable. We risk failing and falling and and losing and being hit by an arrow. And, And so many of us, we don't need to take up the shield of faith to stop the flaming arrows of the enemy because we're not venturing out into the arena risking being shot. And we think that's faith. Enemy hasn't hit me this week. I'm safe. That's faith. But faith is not in what we can see. Faith is stepping out beyond what feels comfortable and if we're content to stay in the safety and the comfort of a life that's insulated from the enemy we never engage in the battle therefore we don't have to stand strong because that's easy we can stand in our own strength we don't need God's strength and so some of us we step back into this safety and security where we don't need God and yet God hasn't called us to hide He's called us to stand firm against the enemy. Stepping into the arena of life means that we're going to be shot at. But here's what's fascinating is that the arrows are flying anyway. If you go to work or you go to school or you venture out anywhere, arrows are firing. There's crossfire and we get hit and and arrows are firing whether you want to step into the arena or not. 
The difference maker for you and I is we can actually take up the shield of faith. Risking being vulnerable, risking being exposed. But that's how faith feels, isn't it? Faith feels like vulnerability. And many of us naturally we run from these feelings, yet God has placed us in this space so that we may trust and rely upon him. And so for you and I, and, and I'm speaking to myself more than I'm speaking to you, but if we're living a life that does not require faith and does not need God, are we living a godly life? Are we trusting in him and our finances and our, where we go and who we talk to? Are we sharing our faith enough? Are we putting ourselves out there enough? See, Paul says that we must take up the shield of faith, which means we don't automatically have it. We don't just walk around with the shield of faith. He's saying you physically or, or, or spiritually or metaphorically need to take that up. And in our modern society, we celebrate safety and security and comfort and predictability. And it's not that those of us who settle for less don't want more. We just want more faith without actually having to have that faith tested. I want to have locks on my house, but I don't really ever want to have those locks tested, right? I just want to trust that they're going to work. I want good tires that can handle anything, but I don't really want to be put in a situation where I have to hard stop, right? Squeal the tires, trust whether or not the tread's good. Like, I want those things, but I don't want those things to be tested. We all want faith. None of us want that faith tested. We don't want to see the strength of our shield, because we don't want to go into areas where that shield might be tested. You might want to take up the shield of faith. But unless we're actually in the battle and that shield is tested, we'll never know how strong our God is. And in the Old Testament scriptures, they talk about a man named Elijah. Elijah was this wild, crazy, kind of colorful, uh, interesting character in the scriptures. And, uh, and in 1 Kings 19, we find that Elijah had come to a place where it's time to pick his successor He's finding who's going to come and, and, and take up the, the, the mantle of faith and, and, and move beyond him. And so uh, Elijah finds a man named Elisha. Elisha, as some of you may know, is just this ordinary farmer. Uh, and he had cattle. He had a lot of cattle. He had a busy farm going on. And, and he lived this, uh, what we'd imagine to be a pretty normal life. And yet God had something different in mind for him. He was living a life of comfort, I would imagine, and, and working hard, but uh, he had security, and God was imagining something bigger than Elisha may have been imagining, and in 1 Kings 19, 19, Elijah left where he was, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, if you're looking for a baby name, Shaphat, write it down, that's on the list. Twelve teams of oxen were in front of him, and, and he was with the twelfth team, and Elijah he walked up to him and he threw his mantle over him. Elisha left the oxen, ran to follow Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and mother and then I will follow you. I don't know if you've heard this story or how many times you've heard it, but between verse 19 and 20, there's nothing. We see where Elijah runs up to Elisha, who's working, throws his mantle on him, mantle maybe like a scarf or a cloak or some kind of cloth, throws it on him like that's normal. And then Elisha goes, let's go, I'll follow you. Now, if I'm mowing the grass and anyone comes up to me and puts anything on me, I'm probably not going to drop what I'm doing and follow them, right? So there has to be something happening in between the sentences. 
And, and maybe there's a series somewhere down the line where we talk about things between sentences because there's a lot that the Bible leaves unsaid. And so I don't want to assume and we never want to just project our own ideals, but uh, I think it's safe in this moment to assume that there's a lot transpiring between the cloak being thrown on Elisha who's working and Elisha going, this is normal, let's follow you. And I feel like it's because God was already working in his heart. I feel like there was something that's happening and scriptures do not reflect this to my knowledge. But I think there was something that was happening where God was plowing his heart, saying, get ready. There's something more in store for you. You are living a life that may be beneath your potential, and, and I'm going to call upon you to step out in faith to do something remarkable. Otherwise, this would have been just a weird situation where he says, hey, old man, get away from me. Like, take your cloak and get, out of, get off my property, get off my lawn. There's this idea, though, that I feel like God's doing something in our hearts, too. I feel like he wants to stir us up to prepare us to go, hey, maybe some of us are living beneath our God-given potential. We're not living a life of faith, and we're not really prepared. So when the cloak does come, we're going to go, oh, this is weird, get away. But when the cloak does come and we're ready, we're going to be ready to go, let me kiss my parents and let's get out of here. Not only does he do this, but he says, I'm actually going to kill everything that I've been raising. He's got cattle and he slaughters them all. Not only does he slaughter them, but he cooks them up. They have a feast. Burns it all down. Why? There's no going back. There's no going back. Now, I love stepping out in faith as long as I've got a backup plan, you know? Like faith is plan B, I've got plan C and D already ready, and plan A was whatever I wanted to do. So I love stepping out in faith as long as I've got everything that I can step back in. And what Elisha is saying is there's no going back. See, for you and I, if we're going to take up the shield of faith, there's no going back. We choose in this moment whether we're going to walk in faith or we're going to walk by sight. But we don't get to do both. That Elisha could have gone back to work and he could have plowed the fields. And honestly, none of us would have blamed him, right? There's moments in my life where I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to go plow the fields because that's better. Like, I'm content with that. And yet, I believe God desires for us to step out in faith that there's more available to us. I'm not saying you should quit your job, and I'm not saying you should burn all your possessions, but I do think there's something inside of us where we have to go, okay, what steps are we going to take? What moves are we going to make to ensure that we're going to walk in faith, that every day we're faced with a decision to take up the shield of faith or not? And a lot of us, we, we don't do it because we don't need to do it, and Elisha goes, and he slaughters his cow, and he cooks up the meat, and he, he goes all in in this moment, and, and, and no one can tell you your future. You have to decide your future. You have to decide the future that you want. What future will you pursue? And the future you're going to pursue is going to be the future you create. And that can be a future of faith and allow God to lead and dictate our lives. Or that can be a predictable future that we create, but if we're not careful, our future will merely be an extension of our past. So if you have not lived your life with faith up to this moment, if you're not intentional about every step you take, your future will be an extension of your past. You will live a life that is faithless and not a faithful life. But if we'll take up the shield, our future will be full of pushing the enemy back and taking new ground. See, the shield wasn't just a defensive weapon. Hey, arrows are coming. I better catch them. It was an offensive weapon where we push the enemy back. You've seen in, in shows and movies and documentaries where they gather together and, and they work together to take ground to push the enemy back. It's not just an offensive weapon. It's a defensive weapon. But throughout our lives, we've seen challenges. 
And uh, even the last couple of years, there's been moments of, of difficulty and stepping out in faith. And every step of faith was harder than the last, but it was also more rewarding than the last. And every time we ask God for something big and we trust him to do something remarkable and we step out and we go, oh, I don't know if he's going to come through. And he comes through. We go, all right, God, what's next? When we realize how big our God is and how much he cares for us, walking in faith doesn't get easier, but we get stronger. But taking up the shield of faith requires determination. It requires a sense of determination for you and I. I don't know what the future holds for you, but I want us to set the precedence here as a church in your life and in mine that we're going to follow God. In every capacity, every way, wherever he leads, taking up the shield of faith will always require something more from us, though. It's always, always going to require a change. We can't take up the shield and stay the same. We can't choose every day to live with faith and just keep living the same life. That doesn't require faith. Something has to shift, and in 2 Kings, we find Elijah. He's come to the end of his time here on earth, and in 2 Kings 2.2, it says this, or 2.1, rather. 2 Kings 2.1, it says, the time had come. For the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha, they were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord is sending me to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of prophets who were at Bethel, came out to Elisha and said, do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you today? And he said, yes, yes, I know. Be quiet. Verse 4, Elijah says to Elisha, stay here. The Lord is sending me to Jericho. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Verse 5, then the sons of the prophets who were in Jericho came up to Elisha and said, do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you today? He said, yes, I know. Be quiet. Verse 6, Elijah says to him again, stay here. The Lord is sending me to Jordan. But Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. There's a pattern here. Three times, Elisha's master, his mentor, his leader is giving him a direct command. Stay put. Stay here. The first thing that I note in this passage is that Elijah is traveling around unnecessarily. Like if God's going to come and pick him up in a whirlwind of fire, he could take him anywhere. Like, take me here. Why make me run around? It's not like he's getting his dry cleaning picked up and oil changed. And like, I got a few things I got to take care of. I got to sign my will. I got some affairs to handle first. No, there's no reason in Scripture for him to travel around. God's just got him moving around. And every single time Elijah says, just stay here. And Elisha goes, no, I don't think so. I'm not going to stay here. But he could have. Who would have blamed him? There's no reason to travel from uh, Bethel to Jericho and on and on. There's, there's no reason for him to move from town to town. And I don't know about you, but there's moments in my life where I find myself in the situation and I, I don't know why I'm in the situation. It's just random. There's no reason. Maybe a medical thing, a financial thing, a relational thing. Just I find myself in, in situations and I, I feel like it's random and, and you might be in the middle of a circumstance right now and you're like, I don't know why. I don't know what the purpose is. What I've found to be true, and I need constant reminders of this, is that God often does his best work in us and through us in the most unexpected situations. For Elijah and Elisha, this seems like meaningless 
travel, but God's working. For you, whatever you're in, it might seem meaningless, might seem pointless and purposeless, but God doesn't leave anything alone. He's using everything to turn all of it out for his good. And however random or weird or meaningless your situation might seem, God's working. And honestly, it feels a bit like Elijah is trying to get rid of Elisha, right? feels like he's trying to shake him. Uh, unnecessary story, but my daughter, she's, she's in this phase where she talks a lot. She's awesome. She came with me this morning, so she's here, so let's be cool. Uh, I like to come here in the mornings. I like quiet. I like to study. <laughs> she likes the opposite. She always has a story, and sometimes those stories are great, but sometimes she just, so I get it. You know, like maybe Elisha's like, hey, not now, you know. Maybe Elijah's like, I'm about to be taken up to heaven. I just need a second. Just, just a second, man. And yet, Elisha refuses to be left behind. And it would have been easy for Elisha to stay behind. There were natural, normal places that looked like good places to part ways. And yet Elisha has this determination. He wants to be in the middle of what God's doing. See, it also feels like there's other people along the way that are trying to deter him. If you look at verse 5, it says, The sons of the prophets who were in Jericho, they came up to Elisha and they said, Do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you? Hey, man, this guy's leaving anyway. Just stay here. Why are you doing all of this? It's not like they had cars or horses and buggies. They're, they're on foot and they're traveling. Just stick around. Stay here. And see, I found in my life that good-intentioned people who are trying to keep me from wasting my time will often prevent me from stepping out in faith and doing what God has called me to do. Every time Elijah, uh, Elisha replies, be quiet, there's this sense of urgency. I don't want to hear it. But don't you hear voices of discouragement sometimes, maybe doubt? They may seem like the voice of reason. They become from good places, but you know they're not God. If you've heard from God and God is inviting you to step out in faith and to do something remarkable, there will inevitably be people around you to go, that seems a little ridiculous. And in your mind, you'll go, yeah, you know, it kind of does seem ridiculous. But that's faith. And there's something in you. And it's inviting you to press on. Even though the voice that seems like it's the voice of reason is inviting you to stay, there's still a small voice that says, take up the shield, let's take new ground, let's move forward without fear. See, I think there comes a moment for all of us in our lives where we have to yell, be quiet. We have to scream it, be quiet. It can't be a whisper, it can't be a thought. That if we're going to be people who want to take up the shield of faith, we cannot be detoured by what others believe to be the voice of reason. There's a draw, there's a calling to more. And I think a lot of us in this room, we feel it. That the pull towards what's normal and what makes common sense is so strong. And others are going to wonder why you live the way you do if you're going to take up the shield of faith. They're going to wonder why you trust the way you trust and why you believe the way you believe. But you're in pursuit of all that God has for you. And it's not going to look normal to the world. And in 2 Kings 2, 7, it says, 50 men from the sons of the prophets came and they stood facing them from a distance. And while the two of them stood by the Jordan, Elijah took up his mantle, rolled it up, and he struck the water, which parted to the right and it parted to the left. And then the two of them crossed over on dry ground. We can't ignore the fact that this is kind of remarkable. 
I mean, this has happened once before in Scripture, and that seemed to work out well for everyone. There are 50 people that are, as an audience, watching this miracle transpire. And what's interesting about their encounter with these 50 sons of the prophets is that all 50 of these men watched the miraculous take place, like parting water's not normal, and they watched it happen in front of them. And all 50 of them decided to stay behind. These are the 50 men that are telling Elijah, hey man, just stay here. You don't have to keep following me around. Can you imagine seeing water parked and think, I don't want to go figure out what's next. I'm okay with what just happened. I don't want to know what's next. I don't need anything else. See, I think a lot of us see God do the miraculous in our life and we go, that's enough. That was pretty good. I'll just hang out with that. I'll just tell that story for the rest of my life. That one time that God saved me and God's going, there's bigger things coming, man. Just take a step. Just walk. And we go, no, that was pretty cool. Right? I mean, water parting is fun. And yet God says there's more in store. And See, I think if you've been following him for any amount of time, you've seen him do remarkable things. But at what point did we stop asking him to do bigger things? At what point did we stop trusting him for more? I mean, in this room right now, I want it full. Not because I need a full room. I preached to 10 people at 9 a.m. And I'm okay with that. It was 15 today. I'm fine with that. I don't need an audience. But we think there are people in our community who need Christ and they need community. So who's going to invite them? I mean, I'm trying. Do you? Do you have faith to believe that, that we can fill this room? Because people need to hear the gospel. Because what happens here matters. We've got a budget. And I think that's great. We're always going to work within that because that's responsible. Don't get on me, George. But at what point, and George is better than I am, at what point do we go all in and go, people need the gospel, so we got to do more? Why do we want to wait till we have all the resources to do everything that we need? That's in our strength. That's not in God's strength. I'm not advocating for everybody to get crazy and to, you know, lose your house or whatever. we got to pay bills. we got to be smart. we got to be wise. But we also have to have faith. And at what point do we stop believing that God could do the remarkable? Is it the water? Was that enough for us? Because God's saying there's something even better on the other side. And every other prophet chose to stay where they were rather than follow Elijah. Here are 50 men standing on the bank. And it's only Elisha who refused to be left behind. How many times have you been left behind? I can't even count how many times I've been left behind. God wants to draw us into more. God desires to do more with our lives, but we limit him by our inability to trust him. There's some determination involved. In order to take up the shield, we have to have a desire. And I think that's where it comes down for a lot of us, is we just have to desire it. I mean, what do you desire? A lot of us desire what the world has told us to desire, and I desire those things too. I wrestle with that. But if we're going to take up the shield every day, we've got to understand what it's going to cost us. We're going to constantly be in the tension of faith and comfort. There's going to be this tension, this liminal space where we'll always gravitate towards comfort instead of step out in faith unless we push ourselves, unless we challenge ourselves. In 2 Kings 2.9, it says, After they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. So Elisha answered, Please let me inherit two shares of your spirit. I want to double portion of what you have. Now what he had was pretty remarkable. It parted water among other things. He wants double of it. And Elijah replied, you've asked for something difficult. 
If you see me being taken from you, you will have it. If not, you won't. This is a big request. Elijah is telling him, hey, this is difficult. This is going to be a challenge. But can you imagine the fortitude of looking somebody in the eye and go, yeah, you've got some faith. I want twice that. I want to be twice as powerful as you. I want to trust in God twice what you do. A request like that can only be made from someone who's persistent and determined and has a desire for God. Someone who refuses to be left behind. You don't get to show up at the end of the story and ask for this gift. You don't get to just say, I'll just meet you around there. You go ahead and do all this stuff. This gift can only be given to someone with a deep commitment and a deep determination. And we are brought into, in this moment in Scripture, what I think is probably the most dramatic exit found anywhere in human history. In 2 Kings 2.11, it says, As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared. And it separated the two of them. And then Elijah went up into heaven in this whirlwind. As Elisha watched, he kept crying out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Then he never saw Elijah again. He took hold of his own clothes and he tore them into two pieces. This is crazy what he got to see. He would have missed it. God just did something unfathomable. And he would have missed it if he had stayed on the other side of the Jordan. But he was there to see it. And as much of the story is about Elijah, it's really about Elisha and what he did next. See, you and I, we all want the chariots of fire and we all want the whirlwind, but we're not willing to go to the point of no return. We all want the remarkable. We all want faith, but we don't want to be faithful. And what Elijah proves is that there's something beyond our ability to keep going that God wants to do. That Elisha was given multiple opportunities to quit, to opt out, and no one would have blamed him. This story would have turned out completely different. Elisha might have had the same amount of faith as Elijah. And everybody would have just went on, and we might have still been talking about him. But he wouldn't have been the recipient of a double portion. His desire for a life of faith, it was greater than the fear of the unknown. In order for you and I to take up the shield of faith, we have to realize it's your destiny. It's your destiny, you and I, to live a life of faith. That destiny may have been passed down to you from a parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent. There may be people praying for you even now. Maybe you're that person in others' lives. But here's what I know about us is that our destiny is to move past what God will do for us into what God will do through us. Choosing to take up the shield of faith is not so that you and I can live a better life. That your life is meant to be a blessing to others. You and I are to take up the shield of faith, not just to protect us, but to protect others. Around 650 BC, we find that the Spartan army comes into power. They become the most dominant military force. Their uh, strategy and the way that they went to war is still studied even today. And so uh, it, it was, it's remarkable what they were able to do, and it's still remarkable today what they did. But if a Spartan soldier was to have lost his shield, it was considered a great disgrace, humiliating. Not just because he couldn't protect himself, but part of the code of ethics, part of the responsibility of being a Spartan warrior and carrying the shield was that you were able to protect the people around you too. And if you lost your shield, you wouldn't be able to protect the person on your left. See, the shield was wide enough to where it would cover the warrior's left side, but the person next to you's right side. 
And they would form something called a phalanx, and they were locked together, many times forming a circle. And my shield would be on my left side, and it would cover me, and it would cover the person next to me. And this person, their shield would be on their left, and it would cover them. And I needed him to cover me, and he, me, I, he needed me to cover him. And if we were working together, we could resist the arrows that were fighting. If he let me down, my right side was vulnerable. If I let him down, his right side was vulnerable. We needed one another, and commanders in the army would often put family members together and friends together because that further strengthened their army. If I knew I'm fighting beside someone I care about and I love, I want to make sure I'm protecting him just like I'm protecting me and this person's protecting me. See, there's never just your life involved. Faith is not just for you. And so often we think that it's just for me. I need faith. It's my faith. But faith is for other people. You shouldn't settle for less because the world is desperately needing you to step up and to live a life of faith. That you only get to make so many trips around the sun. So why would we waste them on just our life? That our faith is meant to stand the test of time, to be passed on for generation to generation. We're to protect the people around us and community. You and I need one another. If your faith is not strong, then there are moments when you've got to duck behind someone else's for a moment. You may need to hide behind the person around you, shield for a little bit till you can get strong and build your faith again. But the intention is that you build your faith. You take up your shield today and you stand firm in your faith next to the people around you so that together we push the enemy back. We're stronger together. We're more resilient together. And there are people around you that need you to take up the shield. And if you want to live a simple life, there's nothing wrong with that. But you need to know that every day, if you don't take up the shield, not only are you vulnerable to the enemy's tactics, but the people around you are too. It's not just you that you let down, but it's the people around you that you're in community with. So don't use your simple life as an excuse to live beneath your God-given potential, your responsibility. And in 2 Kings 2, 13, it says, Elisha picked up the mantle that had fallen off Elijah, and he went back and he stood on the banks of the Jordan, and then he took the mantle Elijah had dropped, and he struck the waters. Where's the Lord God of Elijah, he asked. He struck the waters himself, and they parted to the right and to the left, and Elijah crossed over. Now, I don't know if those 50 men were still hanging out, but I bet they were. Can you imagine the jealousy, the regret, the sadness Here, this guy left, followed Elisha, refused to be left behind, and he comes back. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, so please don't quote me on this, but I'm guessing that the water parted twice as wide as it did for Elijah, right? Like, how cool would that be? If they looked and they're like, oh, there was a path, now there's a roadway, you know what I mean? There's a highway running through this thing. This guy, he refused to be left behind, and look how God's using him. Look what God did. See, I don't want to be left behind. I don't want the people around me to suffer because I refuse to take up the shield of faith and to walk forward in a life of faith. Perhaps the reason so few of us receive a double portion of God's spirit is that we've chosen to live a life that requires so little faith. I don't want to watch God work at a distance. I want to see him work through me. And maybe you're like me and you say, we've got to to live a life of faith. Then we start with taking up the shield of faith. We take the shield of faith and we stand firm in our faith and watch what God does. In our community, 
in our church, in our homes. Watch what happens. Watch the miracles that await us just beyond where we're willing to stop. Let's refuse to get left behind. If you would go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Father in heaven, in this moment, we realize that you desire to lead us to unimaginable places of faith and trust in you. So God, forgive us where we've trusted too little or maybe we trusted in all the wrong things. Forgive us where we've stopped when you've said charge. Forgive us where we've charged and you said stop. So give us wisdom, Father, to navigate the voices in our head, to know the difference between your voice and the voice of those around us, the voice of faith and the voice of comfort. Help us to move with wisdom, to walk with righteousness and truth and peace so that we may be people of faith. So God, this morning, I don't know what it is that, that we all need in this room. Everyone needs a little something different. And some of us, we've trusted you and, and maybe at some point in our life, we stopped trusting, we stopped asking, we stopped praying, we stopped petitioning. We're taking up that shield of faith today. What do you wanna do, God? What do you want to do around us? What do you want to do in us? What do you want to do through us? Because we're going to be people who take up the shield of faith in every situation. So we don't just resist the enemy. We push. We take ground. We move forward. So God, we thank you that you love us enough to give us a shield of faith. Not a shield of faith in our own making, but a shield of faith in you. So we trust and we believe that you are for us and that you are good. And so Father, show me where you want me to go, I will follow. Everybody say that. Say, show me where you want me to go, I will follow. Come on, I will follow. God, we're going to go where you lead us. So show me where you want me to go, we'll follow. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.